Jesus, I'm undone. 
hope you do. That sounded pretty weak. <laughs> I hope you've gotten Jesus this morning. Welcome to those of you uh, who are joining with us online, whether you're on Facebook, on YouTube, on Twitter. Be sure to heart, to like, to share, to subscribe there. Uh, that just helps to get the word out to others, too, with those algorithms they have. Uh, you can subscribe there on YouTube, so be sure uh, to do that. Uh, and click that notification bell. That way you'll get the live notification when we go live. If you follow us on Facebook, that'll get you the automatic notification there. I want to say welcome to our phone live streaming uh, people who are listening on the phone. Uh, glad to have you with us this morning. If you know of someone who needs that, who can't use the internet uh, or doesn't want to use the internet, uh, we'd be glad to give them that number. Just call the church office or you can see me uh, after the service. I want to encourage you too, if you're at home especially, uh, to go to our church website at highlandbaptistchurch.com. It's there where you can download today's worship bulletin. You can get those at the door in person uh, or in the windowsills here to my right or left uh, at any time during the service. Be sure to get one of those. Has some of the upcoming activities uh, that we have. Uh, and then also you can download under that info tab on HighlandBaptistChurch.com the children's worship bulletins. There's one for ages three and up, one for ages seven and up, and they're in the windowsill to my right. A little while later we'll be dismissing for children's church over here to my right, so uh, you can pick up one when you go over there if you need. Uh, and then also under that info tab, you can download the, this month's newsletter. I encourage you to do that with all the upcoming activities there, as well as the prayer list uh, that you can download there. And then also that uh, housing agreement, you can download it there uh, for our mission house so you can see that before our next business meeting. Uh, and then also if you need that emailed to you, call the church office. We'll be glad to email that to you. Or if you need a paper copy, we'll be glad to print that for you. Uh, just let us know what you need there. But it's good to see everybody that's here this morning. Looking forward to a wonderful time of, of worship this morning. If you're one of our guests this morning, we want to encourage you to get one of our gift bags on the right or left here uh, at the doors here or out on the table in the hallway. It's just a little gift that we want to give to you to say welcome, uh, that we're glad to have you with us. Has some information about our church services and then has some gifts in it uh, for you. And so thank you for being here this morning too. Brother Mike, come and lead us in worship. Good morning, church. Let's continue praising the Lord by standing and singing Love Divine, All Love's Excelling. Please join the choir.
Amen. As we come to our missionary moment this morning, you'll find in your bulletins there the story about Sydney Dixon. Uh, she's serving the South, e South Asian villages. Uh, and due to COVID-19 and all the restrictions that they had there uh, in the South Asian villages that she was in, she braved some of the soaring heats, invited women and children to an unfinished roof of someone's home to join for a health lesson and then a Bible story. Uh, and each week, uh, people joined, and one point, uh, they were gathering 350 people. And it tells you there, thank goodness the roof held. <laughs> so uh, that's a wonderful blessing there. So be praying for her uh, as she continues. Uh, because of other, other outbreaks of COVID there in the last year, uh, they went back on more deeper restrictions in those areas. And so they weren't able to have those large gatherings that they were having, but they are now having some small gatherings after some of those uh, who were gathering before pleaded with her to please come back. I'd also draw your attention to the bulletin there underneath there's a QR code there uh, you can scan that QR code with your phone just open your camera uh, on your phone uh, and when you scan it there with your phone a little thing will pop up on your camera thing there just touch it and it'll go to share with you some more about her story as well as other missionary stories there uh, that'll lead you there to sbc.net CP stories uh, so let's go to the Lord in prayer for Sydney Dixon uh, and all of our missionaries in our nation and around the world. Heavenly Father, we just want to thank you so much for Sydney and those, Lord, who have answered the call uh, to missions. Lord, we thank you for your work. Uh, in and through the South Asian peoples there. Uh, Lord, we thank you that even in the midst of COVID, uh, people were able to find ways to minister and to reach out to others, especially the ministry there through Sydney. And we just ask your special blessings, Lord, upon her and the ministries there, as well as all around the world and across North America with all of our missionaries. We ask God for your protection upon them. We ask for your uh, provision for all of their needs. And we pray, God, that you'll show yourself powerful in a great and mighty way as you bring people to faith in Jesus Christ. Lord, help us uh, to be blessed also, uh, because every Sunday as we give to our tithes and offerings, we're giving a portion of our offerings to support those missionaries on the field. And so we thank you, Lord, for that privilege and that opportunity to send the gospel to places we would never be able to go to. And Father, I just pray that your blessings will be upon them and be upon us that we might send more missionaries. So bless us this morning as we come to worship you, Lord. Sometimes we come with lots of cares and troubles uh, upon our hearts. And so, Father, as we come with those things, may we just lay those at the foot of the cross this morning, giving them to you and asking for your will to be done. Lead us in our worship this morning. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen and amen. Uh, just one quick thing that I want to remind you of is your, uh, your offering giving. If you're here in person, you'll see these offering envelopes in front of you. Uh, you can put your offering in that and place it in the offering plates down here at the front. We have offering plates at the doors uh, as you leave either way. Uh, and so be sure to put it there. Or you can go to our church website at highlandbaptistchurch.com. If you're at home, you can do this. Go to the far right-hand side, click that Give Online tab. Real easy platform there. A lot of people use that, and we appreciate that. Uh, but if you've not been and want to do that, it's a real easy platform platform, secure platform there uh, to do too. Uh, and you can do your online giving there. It also has some designated offerings uh, like our missions offerings and things like that that you can give to also. So be sure to take advantage of that under our church website there. Brother Mike, if you'll come in. As we continue our song service this morning, take your hymnals and turn to 473. Join us as we sing more love to thee, O Christ. Oh, love to thee, O Christ, 
y'all sound really good. Now, a uh, reminder of Children's Church. I actually have it, again, written in my bulletin, and I'll say it this Sunday. I forgot it last Sunday. So the Children's Church will be gathering over on the piano side, and the rest of us will be singing 446. Join the choir as we sing Take Time to Be Holy. Let's stand.
Our victory is in Jesus Christ. Take your Bibles, if you will, this morning and turn to John's Gospel, John chapter 15. As we continue our walk through the life of Jesus, we're continuing with what we're calling the Upper Room Discourse uh, and finding out what Jesus has to say in these last hours, the last message that he has to share with his disciples before he goes to the cross, a message for us today. So John chapter 15, uh, we're going to read verse 1 and then verse 4 and verse 5. So if you would, let's stand as we read God's word in honor of his word. So beginning with verse 1, I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Then jump down to verse 4, abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just want to thank you so much for the blessing of your word. Father, I thank you for the songs that have been sung by our congregation, the special music that we've heard. Lord, I pray that all of it has prepared our hearts to hear your spirit speaking to our hearts this morning through the power of your word. Father, I pray that your word will go forth and not return void, that there'll be those, Lord, who will come to faith in Jesus as their Lord and their Savior. Father, there'll be those who may be stirring in their hearts to become a part of this fellowship as we seek to go forward in your kingdom work. And Father, we just ask for your blessings upon this word. May it speak to each one of us this morning, whether we're here and we don't know Christ as Lord and Savior, may it bring us to faith in him. If, it, if we are in Christ, then Lord, I pray that you'll help us to see, to make sure that we're examining our hearts each and every day to see, are we in the vine, producing the fruit that you've called us to. In Jesus' precious name we pray, amen and amen. You can be seated. So as we come to this chapter of John's gospel, we're about two-thirds of the way through the Gospels and the life of Jesus. And there's still a lot that we're going to learn in chapter 15, 16, and 17 uh, in this uh, section here where Jesus speaks his final words uh, to his disciples and to us. Every chapter that we've looked at, whether it's in John's Gospel or whether it's in any of the other Gospels, uh, every story, every miracle that we've seen so far has been designed to convey one point. And that's that Jesus Christ is 
the Son of God and that we ought to believe in him. In fact, that's what John writes in his gospel in John chapter 20 and verse 31. He says, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. And so throughout John's gospel, Jesus has given a number of analogies to describe his ministry uh, to his people. Uh, he's used the analogy of we are his sheep and he is the shepherd. Uh, we're in darkness, he's the light. Uh, we have hungry souls, he's the bread of life. We're spiritually dead, he's the resurrection and the life. And here in John 15, we are the branches and he is the vine. And so this passage reminds us that the life that we receive at salvation is not just a one-time back there, way back when kind of gift that was an event a long time ago, but there hasn't been much going on uh, since that time of that supposed salvation. Uh, think about it for a second. If you put that analogy uh, in a marriage illustration, if I was to ask a couple that's been married 50 years, if I were to ask them, how's your marriage? And they said, well, on July of the 1973 at 11, a.m. at First Baptist Church of Podunk, we got married, and that's all they said, uh, we would think that was strange, that that's the way they talked about their wedding, their marriage. But, but understand this, uh, our many faith testimonies are just like that. We talk about a date uh, that ha something happened in our lives, but we don't talk about what's going on now, how God is working in our hearts and our lives now. No growth, no service, no holiness, no maturity. And so by contrast, we see here that God enables us and expects us to live every day depending on and being devoted to the Lord Jesus Christ. So if you are in the vine, then there are some characteristics that ought to be evident in your life. What do we mean by being in the vine? We mean by being saved, if you know Jesus as your Lord and your Savior. So, so the very first thing we need to make sure of is do I know Jesus as my Lord and Savior? So that's the very first starting point for any of us who are here this morning, to examine our hearts and ask, have I ever had that moment in my life where I've trusted in Jesus as my Lord and Savior? If you haven't done that, then I wanna encourage you to do that today because he loves you, he cares for you, and he wants to know you in his, in his life and you to be a part of his family, you to be a part and in the vine. If you're here this morning and you've done that, and you know that you've asked Jesus into your heart, then, then this is what we're going to see about the vine, that there are some characteristics that ought to be evident in your life as you seek to live for the Lord. Here's the first one I want you to see this morning. Life in the vine is a life that points to Jesus. And you see this in verse 1 and verse 4 and verse 5. We're going to catch all the other verses in just a moment. But this is what we talk about here in verse 1 and then in verse 4 through verse 5. Because what I want you to understand is this. If you are a believer, your life is not about you. Your life is to be all about Jesus. It's all to be all about the vine. Because think about that. If you think about a grapevine. Uh, or you think about a tomato bush that grows on a vine. Uh, it's nothing without the main stalk, without the main vine. That's what he's talking about. Uh, we are the branches off of the main vine. And so without that main branch going into the soil, without Jesus Christ in your life, he says you're nothing and you can't do anything apart from him. So I want you to notice in these verses, 25 times in these 11 verses that we're going to look at this morning, Jesus uses the words, I, me, and my. 
Jesus is of the impression that the Christian life is about himself. The life we live for Jesus is only possible because of the life that Jesus lived for us and is now living in us and through us. And so in at least one sense, God isn't looking for people to live the Christian life. If you could live it, then it would be about you. God is looking for people who will allow Jesus to live his life in them and through them. Galatians chapter 2 verse 20, Paul states this very principle and says it this way in Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And so when you live with that point of view, that kind of life is pleasing to the Father because it glorifies the Son, Jesus Christ. So I want you to see some things uh, about this, about uh, the, the life in the vine that points to Jesus. The first thing I want you to see about this point is, is that religious beliefs are incomplete without Jesus. Notice back in verse 1. He says, I am the true vine and my Father is the vine dresser. Now, in the, in, the, is, in, the, in the Jewish culture, the vine was an important symbol to Israel because it was a symbol of Israel. Much like if you think about America, what's the symbol you think of America today? You think of the bald eagle or something like that. Uh, Israel had national symbols including the fig tree uh, and the vine. The vine symbol appeared on coinage, similar to our national seal, uh, and it appeared on the decorated gates of the temple uh, as you went into the temple. Isaiah chapter 5 verse 7 says this, For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel, and the men of Judah are his pleasant planting. And so Jesus and his disciples, here they have been in the upper room. They've just partaken of the Lord's Supper. If you go back to verse 31 of chapter 14, uh, it tells us there that he says at the very end, rise, let us go from here. So what Jesus says from that moment on uh, was probably spoken on the way to the garden or at the very least as they arose in the room to get ready to leave. Maybe they're lingering a while as he's instructing them, but it still continues on towards the garden. And you could imagine this allegory that he's speaking of the vine being given as they're on that journey to uh, the, the garden of Gethsemane where he's going to pray that they would have passed through vineyards going through uh, the valley to go up uh, to where the garden of Gethsemane was. And so as they probably head from the room uh, down to the darkness of that garden of Gethsemane, he uses what we know in the, in the New Testament as the seventh and final I am statement to show that while Israel had been a vine, he was the true vine. And not just uh, the vine, but the true vine. Uh, A.W. Pink said this, he said, it's not that he was the true vine in opposition to the false vine, but rather that Christ was perfect, essential, and enduring the enduring reality of which others were but a faint reflection. And that's true. What, what it means there is it's true as opposed to partial, not as opposed to a false vine. 
Uh, this word true is used in this sense several times. Uh, John chapter 1 verse 9, where Jesus says he's the true light, not as opposed to the false light, but the complete, perfect light. John 6, 32, he's the true bread. Hebrews 8 verse 2, Jesus is the minister of the true tabernacle. So in other words, some had heard the sounds and even seen uh, the, the, the light of the gospel in John the Baptist preaching, but because they didn't see the light of Jesus, they missed the point in his preaching. They had heard of the manna that had fallen from heaven in Moses' day, but since it didn't create a, a hunger of the soul that could only be filled by Jesus Christ, the true bread of life, they missed the true meaning of the manna. They had offered sacrificial lambs at the temple, but when the Lamb of God himself dwells among them, they didn't recognize him. And they had the true temple in their midst, and yet they preferred Herod's temple. Jesus was the chief cornerstone, not fashioned by hand, who was standing before them, and they rejected it for him for the structure of their own making and the dead religion that took place within its lifeless walls. In other words, your relationship with Jesus Christ and our relationship as a church is not about this building. It's not about the pews you're sitting on. It's not about any of us. It's all about Jesus. And so notice that Israel, they were the seed of Abraham. They were zealous about obeying God. They dotted every I, they crossed every T, but it didn't do them any good because they missed Jesus. So understand this, we can be the same way ourselves. You know, we come to church sometimes, we have our emotions stirred, uh, we lift our voices, we study our lessons, we do our duties, we check our boxes that we did all the things, and yet we can miss Jesus in the process. And so it's worth noting that the only place Jesus' parents ever lost him, you remember where it was? at the temple, at the church. So religious beliefs are incomplete without Jesus. We also learn that righteous behaviors are impossible without Jesus. In other words, you could try to do all the good living, uh, do all the good things you wanted to do, but none of that would matter without Jesus in your heart and in your life. So apart from Christ, we can do nothing. In fact, that's what verse 4 and verse 5 says again. Read it with me again. He says, Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself. Unless it abides in the vine, neither can you, unless you abide in me. He says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do a few things. A little bit. What's it say? Nothing. Zilch, nada, zip. The vineyard of Israel had been very busy, very religious. But, but for being a vineyard, they had produced wild, sour grapes. Similarly, without abiding in the true vine of Jesus, there is nothing that we can do that will be pleasing to him. In fact, the hymn writer wrote it this way and said, Nothing in my hands I bring, simply to the cross I cling. Isaiah 64 verse 6 says this, We have all become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. We all fade like a leaf and our iniquities like the wind 
take us away. Iniquities are our sin. Matthew 7 reminds us that many will say to him in that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy? And yet the Lord's going to say, depart from me, you workers of iniquity, you workers of sin, for I never knew you. See, religious be doing, uh, doing religious things and religious behavior is not enough. If the devil can get you to do evil in the flesh, if he can't get you to do that, he'll just get you to do good things in the flesh. Let's think about this. All seven of those famous I am statements point to Jesus as opposed to our religious efforts and our religious experience. In fact, life that is in the vine gladly and joyfully acknowledges that there is nothing good in us except Jesus Christ in the hope of glory. Life that is in the vine says that God forbid that I should boast in anything except the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Life that is in the vine it calculates all that life accomplish, of our accomplishments and says, I count everything that I have done as loss for the sake of knowing Christ. Life in the vine is a life that points to Jesus. So the question you need to ask yourself this morning, if you profess to be a believer this morning, is, is my life pointing others to Jesus? If it's pointing people to Highland Baptist, it's pointing to the wrong place. If it's pointing them to this preacher, it's pointing them to the wrong place. If it's pointing to you or to anybody else other than Jesus, it's pointing them to the wrong place. Is your life pointing others to Jesus? Here's the second thing we need to get from our passage this morning, is that life in the vine is a life that produces for Jesus. Go back to verse 2 and verse 3, and we'll pick up those two verses. So in verse 2, it tells us, Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. Now, when you read verse 2 there, verse 2 has given a lot of people a lot of grief throughout the years. Some have interpreted verse 2 to say that a Christian could lose his or her salvation. The idea is that it teaches that you could lose your salvation if you don't bear fruit. Now, the idea of salvation is given by grace but is maintained by work, and it, that is foreign to what the Bible has to say. There's no passage in the Bible that teaches that a Christian can lose their salvation, so we know there has to be a better explanation if they truly are in Christ. And so thank God there is. Uh, the explanation is both simple and even very awesome. Here's the answer. The answer is that this isn't talking about a person being lost at all. The lost person is described that we're going to see down in verse 6, but not here. So if you disagree with this, you're in good company because there are some scholars who agree with you, but let's just watch the vine dresser, God the Father, as he cares for these branches in these two verses and see if it makes any sense to you. How does he make us productive for Christ? Notice the first thing he does. The dirty stains that are clean, cleaned off. Notice the dirty stains that are cleaned off. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean, he says. Now, when he uses that phrase in verse 2, takes away, that we have in our English versions, or taketh away in verse 2, that's the part really that gives us the problems. But the primary meaning of the word is the Greek word iro. 
so A-I-R-O, if you're jotting any Greek down. Uh, it means to lift up. In fact, if you look in other places throughout the New Testament, that's exactly the way it's translated. If you go back to Matthew chapter 4, Satan uses it in Matthew 4 in his temptation of Jesus. And he tells him, remember when he's up on the pinnacle, and he says, jump off. And he says this, he says, he will give his angels charge over you to Iro, is the Greek word there, to lift you up lest you dash your, your foot against a stone or whatever. Uh, and so uh, there, the devil uses that word, Iro, to lift up. Jesus uses it in Matthew chapter 9 when he speaks to a crippled man and says to him, Arise, Iro, lift up your bed and go home. Jesus also uses it in a very familiar passage to many of us as believers in Luke 9.23 where Jesus says, If any man be my disciple, he must deny himself and Iro, take up or lift up his cross and follow me. Mark 15 tells us that as Jesus was stumbling, you remember Jesus was carrying the cross uh, up to Calvary, and as he stumbles under the weight of that cross, they pressed upon Simon the Cyrene to Iro to lift up and take up the cross. Why is that distinction so important? Because understand this, grapevines aren't designed to grow on the ground. Any grapevines that you see that are producing good grapes, where are they? They're up. They're on an arbor. Uh, they're on some kind of uh, guiding system that, that keeps them up off the ground. Uh, that's why we arbor them. We lift them up. Uh, on the ground, they become encrusted with dirt and mud. They're more susceptible to insects and disease. James Montgomery Boyce in his commentary points out this about that the, the, the vine dresser lifts the vines up, carefully cleans the vines of insects, moss, and parasites that otherwise would hinder the growth of a plant. Isn't it good to know that when we go through seasons of coldness and fruit, fruitlessness that the vine dresser doesn't immediately go for the knife and cast us into the fire. No, his grace reaches into the muck and to the mire of our life and he draws us closer to himself. See, when you're raising those branches up, you're drawing it closer to the vine, to the main stem. And so it's drawing ourselves closer to him. And he's saying to us, I've got more in store for you than for you to just lay around in the dirt. I've started a work in you. And what does the Bible tell us? He's going to finish the work in you. He's going to complete the work in you. So we see the dirty stains that are cleaned off. But then we see the dead suckers that are cut off. You may be thinking, what in the world are you talking about, preacher? We're not talking about lollipops. Any of you who grow anything in a garden, especially if you grow tomatoes in a garden, you ought to know what a sucker is. If you ever see your tomatoes growing up and they produce branches that go off the side of the main stem, sometimes where those branches go off, you'll see a little one coming up in that little corner there. That's called a sucker. And what it's doing there is it's sucking all the energy from going out here where the tomatoes are going to be produced, where all your blossoms are going to be. Good, good point to know if you're growing tomatoes or if you're growing grapes, to know that, uh, to get those little suckers off. And, and so just like the name implies, it's sucking the life out of the grapevine or it's sucking the life out of your tomato vine. It, it draws the vine, uh, drains the vine of those valuable resources. Now, this is a spiritual parasite 
that may not be inherently evil. If you spend your Christian life, and we relate this to where we are today, if you spend your life asking what's wrong with you fill in the blank, then you're missing the point. You can have a lot of good things going on in your life, but if they are sucking the life out of the main things God wants you to be doing, then those are some things maybe you need to be getting rid of in your life. Uh, understand this, or you may want to write this statement down. Everything in our life is either preventing fruit or it's producing fruit. Everything in your life is either preventing fruit from growing or is producing fruit worthy of the Lord in your life. For the Christian, the good things can often be the enemy of the best that God wants for us. You know, sometimes we can get involved in so many good things that we forget to be involved in the best thing that the Lord has for us. And, and so some Christians would be more productive for Jesus if they had just eliminate uh, some of the competition in their life. Uh, this passage teaches us that if we don't cut those things out of our lives ourselves, the vine dresser is going to come along and cut those things out. And I don't know what it is that God may prune out of your life, but I know this, every productive Christian is a pruned Christian. Every one of us who are growing for the Lord have had some point in our life where God has removed some things, whether it was bad things that were going on in our life or whether it was good things going on in our life to get us to focus on the best that he wants for in our lives. It may be a job, it may be a relationship, it might be a dream, it might be a desire, it might be security. You might have ideas about what you want to do and you think that's the good thing to do. And the Lord says, no, here's what I want you to do. You need to get rid of this. And so it's in those moments that sometimes God can seem very far away. One writer wrote this and said that God's hand is never closer than when he prunes the vine. God's hand is never closer than when he prunes the vine. And so why does God do that? Do, do we, he does it so that we can bring more glory and more fruit. Understand this, that a vine dresser will prune all the way back to the main vine if need be. Now, I don't know about you, when you're growing tomatoes, one of the things I've learned to do as you're growing that vine up, uh, sometimes you've got to clip all the way down to the vine on some of those lower branches. If you don't, then, then water will splatter up onto those lower leaves and, and spread disease uh, to the rest of the plant. And so sometimes, uh, spiritually for our own lives, uh, the, the vine dresser has to prune all the way back to the vine if need be. Uh, when he gets done, there may be very little of the branch showing, but the vine will remain on display. And so we've learned that life in the vine is a life that points to Christ. And life in the vine is a life that produces for Christ. But here's the third point I want you to see this morning. That life in the vine is a life that perseveres with Jesus. We're going to see this in verse 6 down through verse 11. So let's read those verses, if you will, with me. We're just going to begin with verse uh, 6 down through verse 10. If anybody, if anyone does not abide in me... He is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burnt. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. 
abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. So there's, there's a few words here, actually it's one word that just continues to be repeated. It's like an emerging high point in a beautiful mountain range. And that key word is the word abide. Some versions say remain or, or continue. It's used 11 times in these 11 verses. What does it mean to abide? It means, in the, in the definition of it, it means to stay, to remain, to abide, to wait for, to remain in a place and expect something in the future. You need to stay as close to the Lord as you can, expecting fruit to be produced in the future. And so it means to keep that fellowship with Christ so that his life can work in and through us to produce that fruit. And that means being in the word of God. That means that when you sin, you confess your sin so that nothing hinders your fellowship with him. And it involves obeying him because we love him. But how can we tell if we're abiding in Christ? Is it some special feeling we feel? Not at all. It's not what the Bible speaks about. There are certain evidences that appear, and they're unmistakably clear. For one thing, when you're abiding in Christ, you produce fruit. Uh, we're going to talk about what that fruit is in just a little bit. But you also experience not only producing fruit, you also experience the pruning, the Father's pruning, so that you'll bear more fruit. That's what verse 2 talked about. The believers who are abiding in Christ also have their prayers answered, as you see in verse 7. He says, ask whatever you wish and it'll be done for you. That's not just an arbitrary promise out there. That's only if you're abiding in him. Because if you're abiding in him, you're going to ask things according to his will. And so your prayers are answered. Uh, that's another characteristic and evidence there. They also experience, uh, those who are in the vine, uh, a love that grows deeper and deeper for the Lord and for other believers. You see that in verse 8 down through verse 13. And you also experience joy that we're going to get to in verse 11. And so this abiding relationship is natural to the branch and the vine, but it has to be cultivated in Christian life. In other words, you don't just come to faith in Christ, trust in him as Lord and Savior. Whew, it's all over. I don't have to do anything else. I can sit back and coast through life. I can do whatever I want, live the way I want. I've already been forgiven. Jesus will forgive all my sins. Paul says, no, no, no. You can't do that. Abiding in Christ demands our worship. Abiding in Christ demands meditation on his word and prayer and sacrifice and service. But what a joyful experience it is. Once you begin to cultivate that deeper fellowship with Jesus, you won't have any desire in your life to return to a shallow life of a careless Christian. And the more that you abide in Christ, the more you're going to bear fruit in your life. And the more you bear fruit, the more the Father has to prune us so that the quality keeps up with the quantity. And so left to itself, the branch could produce a lot of clusters, but they wouldn't be of good quality. They wouldn't be of any use. They would be even sour. And so God is glorified uh, by, by a bigger crop, but he's also glorified by a better crop. Life in the vine means that there ought to be fruitfulness for Jesus. That's what we see in verse 6 through verse 10. So notice that connection back to verse 5. Verse 5 said, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. If, and then verse 6, if anyone does not abide in me, 
So he says, here's what happens if you abide in me. But if you don't abide in me, you're thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. So those who abide in Christ bear fruit, and non-fruit bearers are barren because they aren't in Christ. The Message Bible says it this way, anyone who separates from me is dead wood. D.A. Carson says that these verses insist that there are no true Christians without some measure of fruit. There ought to be some fruit in your life, in some way, some shape, some form. Uh, another commentator said this, not only is fruit bearing the main emphasis here, but our Lord makes it the identifying mark of a true believer. Some claim to be in the vine, but the absence of fruit, they said, disqualifies them. If there is no fruit in our life, we had better reconsider the authenticity of our Christianity. So understand that. Assurance of, our, of salvation is not measured just by looking back at a point in time where you trusted in Jesus as your Lord and Savior at some past event, but it's also looking inside to, to a present reality. So what is the fruit that's to be produced? Well, there are several different kinds of spiritual fruit that the Bible speaks of. And so we, we bear fruit when we win others to Jesus Christ, Romans 1.13. We bear fruit when we're a part of the harvest, uh, when we're sharing the gospel, Romans chapter 4, verse 35 to 38. We bear fruit as we grow in holiness and obedience, Romans 6.22. Paul considered Christian giving to be fruit from a dedicated life. So your giving can be fruit, uh, Romans 15.28. The fruit of the Spirit is given to us in Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 and verse 23. It's the kind of Christian character that glorifies God and, and makes Jesus real to others. Uh, even our good works, our service, grow out of our abiding life, Colossians 1, verse 10. Even the praise of your lips to the Lord that comes out of your hearts and your lips is actually fruit to the glory of God, Hebrews 13 verse 15. And that's not to be an exhaustive list there, but many of those things many times can be counterfeited by the flesh, but the deception would eventually be detected because real spiritual fruit has in it the seeds for more fruit. See, understand this, man-made results are dead and can't reproduce themselves, but spirit-produced fruit goes on producing from one life to another. There will be fruit, the Bible tells us here, There'll be more fruit, and there'll be much fruit. So a, a true branch united with the vine will always produce fruit. And not every branch is going to be some bumper crop. Uh, not everybody here this morning is going to be a Billy Graham and, and lead thousands and millions uh, to faith in Christ. If you just lead one to faith in Christ, you share the gospel with people around you. You're a part of producing fruit. You lift up your voice and praise and your heart, not just your voice, your lips, but your heart and praise to the Lord. You give to the furtherance of the gospel. That's an act of worship before the Lord that's producing fruit. If there's not any fruit, then the branch is worthless and it's cast away and burned. Now, it's not necessarily here that Jesus is teaching that, that true believers can lose their salvation because that would contradict other passages in John's gospel and in other places. If anything, John 15 verse 6 is describing divine discipline rather than eternal destiny. And so there's the fruitfulness for Jesus, but there in that last verse is the fullness of joy.
So you notice what verse 11 says. He says, these things, what he just spoke about in verse 1 through verse 10, these things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Now, interestingly, the word joy up to this point in John's gospel only appears once. And yet we find it in this upper room discourse seven times. And two of those times are here. Wow. Why do I say wow? Think about what's happening. Jesus has just been in the upper room, ate what we call the Lord's Supper, the Last Supper, with his disciples. He said, let's arise from here. They're either lingering around still at the room, on their way to the Garden of Gethsemane at the very least. But think about what's going on out there in the world. The soldier who's going to flog Jesus has probably just come on duty. As Jesus says these words, Judas the betrayer is, is meeting with the religious leaders to tell them, I know where he is. At this moment, two common criminals are eating their last meal. Tomorrow morning, Jesus is going to hang between them on a cruel Roman cross. Within hours, the plan devised before the world's foundation is going to come to its completion. But listen to what Hebrews 12 and verse 2 says. We are to be looking to Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Understand this, that Jesus' joy could be full even in the midst of all that was going on around him in the world because he was obeying the Father's will. If Jesus could have joy in the face of the cross, think of the joy you can have in him no matter what you face with him in your heart and in your life. We used to sing a song, didn't we? I've got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart. Where? Where? We've got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart. Where? Down in my heart to stay. And I'm so happy, so very happy. I've got the love of Jesus in my heart. And I'm so happy, so very happy. I've got the love of Jesus in my heart. Wow, what a wonderful truth for us to learn this morning. That life in the vine is a life that points to Christ. That life in the vine is a life that produces for Christ. And that life in the vine is a life that perseveres with Jesus. What a wonderful truth there. That we don't have to serve God. We get to serve God. We don't have to go to church. We get to go to church. We don't have to give offerings. We want to give our offerings. You may have heard the, the question before. If you were on trial for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? Let me ask that to you this way. What evidence is there in your life that you are a follower of Jesus Christ? Does your life point to Jesus? Is your life productive for Jesus? 
Are you persevering for Jesus? Is the joy of living in the vine down in your heart? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much. What a powerful, wonderful word that we need to be abiding in you. And yet so often, Lord, we try to do things in our own strength, in our own way, in our own timing. And yet, Lord, I pray that when we do, whether it's bad things or whether it's good things, that, Lord, we would come to the place to realize the things that need to be pruned out of our lives, lest we have to come to that place where you as the vine dresser begin to remove some things out of our life to get us to where you would have us to be. So, Father, I pray that you will begin your work even this morning, especially in those who don't know Christ as their Lord and Savior. Lord, that they would just simply call out to you and say, Dear God, I know that I'm a sinner. I believe Jesus died on the cross, that he was buried in the tomb, that he arose on the third day to give me eternal life. I trust in him as my Lord and my Savior. And I ask you, Jesus, to come into my life to save me and to help me to live for you all the days of my life. Help me to be a branch grafted in the vine. In Jesus' name I pray. Father, if there's someone who's prayed something like that in their hearts this morning, then I pray, Lord, that they will come this morning to publicly profess that faith in Christ. Lord, I pray that this will be a special moment and a special day for them to know that if they prayed that and meant that in their hearts, that they now know Jesus as our Lord and Savior, and they are now a part of a branch grafted into the vine. Father, I pray for those of us who are already believers, who know in our hearts, we've already examined our hearts, and know without a shadow of a doubt we know Jesus as our Lord and Savior. But we've been examining our hearts this morning, and we're realizing I've not been producing fruit in my life. And Lord, I pray whatever the things are in our lives that are crowding out us being able to do that, Lord, if it's, if it's those sinful things, Lord, help us to come to the place of repentance. Lord, that there'd be nothing of sin that would hinder us from your work. Lord, if it is some other good things in our lives that are not the best thing you would have us to do, then Lord, I pray that you would help us to prune those things out of our life also and to focus on the things that matter the most to you and your word, to be faithful in what you've called us to do. And Lord, I pray that your will will be done in our hearts and our lives in the days ahead. Lord, bless us this morning. Maybe there's someone you're stirring in their heart to come and to be a part of this fellowship. May they come during this invitation and may you be glorified and honored. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. As we stand, as we sing our hymn of invitation, turn your eyes upon Jesus, number 320. As we stand, will you make your way and come this morning, Brother Mike? There. 
Thank you, Jim, for that message. Uh, good morning to everyone and visitors. It's good to have you with us, and we do hope that you'll come back and see us. Uh, just a few quick announcements. Uh, most of the activities you can get from your bulletin, but I will point out deacons will be meeting today, or this afternoon at 4. Uh, prime timers will be meeting on Tuesday the 11th at 12. Sign-up sheets on the bulletin board. If you haven't signed up, please do, so we have an idea of the food we'll need. And men's breakfast will be on July 15th at 8 a.m. Matt, did you have anything you want to say about that? Or just, just or is the sign-up sheet there? We encourage you to come. And our speaker is uh, Matt Ledbetter. Okay, our, our, uh, so please come. I think you'll have a thrill for that and then uh, some good breakfast. Uh, we've got some great cooks in this church. And the other announcements I think you can find in the bulletin. Some prayer requests, we do want to continue to uh, remember, or be in prayer for uh, Ann Smith's father, uh, Bill Hargrove. He is at home now that I understand, but want to continue to be in prayers for him. And for Sandra Wells, uh, Sandra's been having some more kidney stones, and I don't think a date has been scheduled, but she will be going hopefully sometime this month and uh, getting those removed. But she's had a painful experience with those, so please be in prayer. Uh, for that. And we also want to continue to remember those in our nursing homes. And then I just want to remind you that uh, come tomorrow morning, they'll be coming and removing our pews. So when you show up next Sunday, it may have a little bit different look. We'll have chairs in here, but don't be alarmed. There'll be enough seating for everybody. So probably for maybe about six weeks, we'll uh, be having our pews refurbished. And uh, we just uh, uh, want to be in prayer for that. So if there's any other announcements, Michelle? If you didn't catch, I didn't get it all either myself, but uh, Michelle's talking about our ministry center on Fridays that uh, uh, I know Michelle and Judy, and if there's any others that want to volunteer, they do hand out waters. Uh, it's a very wonderful ministry, and uh, if you've ever driven by here on Fridays, you've noticed the long lines over there, and, and during the summer, it's very hot. Did that pretty well get most of it, Michelle? Okay. okay. Uh, any other announcements that we need to... 
okay? All right, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Oh, I'm sorry. And if you've got more questions on that, you can, you can see Rosie or Brother Jim. So. All right, uh, let's bow our heads and go to the Lord in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we're just so thankful for this beautiful day you've given us. We're just thankful, Lord, for the love and blessings that you provide for us. And Lord, it is just our prayer that uh, each of us would, uh, would be a, a blossoming fruit upon the, the tree that you provide. And Lord, we just, we just pray that you would be with us and guide us and help us and, and that we would not be a stumbling block to your ministries. Lord, we just ask that you to be with those that uh, we've mentioned in our prayer concerns. Be with those, Lord, that may be traveling. Uh, be with the Lord, Lord with uh, those that may need you in a very special way. Father, we're just uh, thankful for what you do and we're just thankful that you, uh, you uh, are in our lives. And Father, it's all these things we ask, and Father, we pray that uh, we are not a stumbling block, and forgive us, Lord, when we fail thee. These things we ask in the precious name of your Son. Amen.